Several nights ago, I was online when an opportunity to take a poll concerning the future of the president came up. I filled out the questions, submitted my response, and then in the very next instant, the results flashed on the screen. 60,000 people had responded already. Some 60% thought the president should either resign or be impeached. I was surprised by that. National polls tell a different story. Most folks believe that the president should not be removed from office. Parenthesis, this story is not about your opinion in this matter, by the way. For purposes of the sermon, I don't care what happens. My personal opinion you can figure out later. But what was interesting to me was the difference between what I had been hearing and what I was now seeing. Then I did a little research. On the computer survey, the people responding were mostly male Republicans. On the national level, I have no idea who was responding. The difference had an impact on the results. And I guess if you're going to answer the question, what do people think, it would make a big difference where you got your information. You know, it almost always matters where you get your information. You probably know by now, since I've been here eight and a half years, it's not like me to get political in sermons. Uh, I'm not going to do that this morning. I wrote those first paragraphs ago, 21 years ago, in my introduction to my Advent sermon for that year. That's exactly verbatim what I wrote 21 years ago. And the president being referenced was not our current president, but a different president. And I thought when I reread that sermon last week, I thought to myself, huh, there really is nothing new under the sun, is there? I mean, isn't that what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1.9? What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. There's a sadness in that. Um, I think in our younger years, we think we can change the world. We work hard to pursue our dreams. We invest our lives in things we're passionate about. But time wears most of us down a bit. When we don't see things changing, when we don't see things getting any better, when we hit stubborn obstacles we're not able to move, it's hard to keep straining. It's hard to keep hoping. And I wonder if maybe that's a bit how Zechariah felt at the beginning of Luke's gospel. I mean, Zechariah was a priest of the order of Abijah. David, the king, had divided the priesthood into 24 divisions. The division of Abijah was the eighth division. After the exile, which is when the events of Luke take place, the priesthood is reformed and the divisions are given their original names again. And so Zechariah, a priest after the order of Abijah, marries the daughter of a priest. And so that's supposed to be like a double blessing in Judaism. Zechariah anticipated a full and fulfilling life of service to God. And yet there was this gaping hole in his life that made it impossible for him to feel blessed. Yes, he served in the temple, but he was childless. 
and the priesthood is hereditary. So there's nothing to pass, no one to pass the priesthood to. So Zechariah has no son and a barren wife, which means a discontented wife. And though both he and his wife were righteous before God, they are now old and Elizabeth is still childless. And so perhaps it's time for Zechariah to let go of some of his dreams. Perhaps it's time to accommodate the reality that life had brought them. Perhaps it was past the time to hope for the unexpected. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they understand the way biological time clocks work. But still Zechariah has his priestly duties, and so he presses forward. He goes through the rituals, he goes through the motions, performs his pre priestly tasks, but I think he's wondering all the while that he's doing it. I think he's wondering, I mean, the prospects had been so promising. Have, have I done something wrong? Or has Elizabeth done something wrong? Or is this barrenness a punishment from God? Or is this just life doesn't always go the way we expect it to go? You know what it's like when you have to confront the realities at hand, especially when they're not what you had hoped. I mean, eventually you lose hope, you give up, and your, your mind starts to invent excuses or, or reasons. In isolation, our minds come up with all kinds of dreadful reasons for those painful places in our lives, false explanations, explanations, wrong ideas. We're looking, any, we're looking for any place we can find to land that shipwrecked part of our life. But in the middle of all this, in the middle of the questions and the confusions and the doubts and the loss of hope, something completely unexpected, something out of the blue, something brand spanking new happens. This is what Luke 1, 11 says. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I mean, you can imagine how we would feel if suddenly Gabriel just appeared right there, right? I mean, I would stop talking, maybe stop breathing. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready 
a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I don't know if his voice dropped to a lower tone or not. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Imagine, imagine what it was like to be Zechariah. I mean, he's already experiencing some level of excitement by being chosen by lot to enter the holy place to burn incense before the altar of God. Only one man got to do that one time a year. It was a very rare event. Once a year it happened. Whenever it happened, a crowd gathered in the temple to witness it. They couldn't see what was going on because no one could see past the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the holy place. So you didn't really know what was going on in there. In fact, there was a measure of risk for the priest who entered the Holy of Holies because he was mediating God to the people of Israel. And no one knew what might come of that. I mean, Israel knew who they were. They knew they weren't always following God. Would God judge the people and take it out on the priest? I mean, what would happen if the priest in there had a heart while he was in there? If he had a heart attack and died in there, no one could go in and retrieve the body for another whole year. I mean, they had learned their lessons before. You remember back in the Old Testament when someone reached out a hand to steady the cart that the Ark of the Covenant was on? God didn't take kindly to that kind of familiarity on that day, and that man did not live to see the next sunrise. And so there was no one who was going to mess with the reputation of the holy God and step into the holy place, the holy of holies, uninvited. And so they did a sensible thing. Before the priest went in there, they tied a rope around his waist. And that way, if anything happened, they had the other end of the rope outside the curtain. And if they heard a big thump, they could just haul him out and no one would have to go back there because you just don't enter the Holy of Holies but one priest once a year. So in Zechariah goes, and only Zechariah will see and know what happens next. And because when he comes out, he can't speak, it's going to be a while before anybody knows what actually went on in there. What, what did happen? What happened in there? Well, Zechariah learned some things that we should listen to as well. First, he heard the angel say to him, you have been heard. Did you catch that? The Lord has heard your prayers. You have been heard. Do you think Zechariah is the only person whose prayers make it to heaven? I don't think so. I'm not sure this was prophecy, really. I think the angel was making a common statement to begin, maybe to warm up to the big announcement that's going to come. You have been heard. Well, we are heard. We know we are heard. But then the angel says, you and your wife will have a son. 
oh, now this is something unexpected. This is something new under the sun. This is something biologically impossible, it seems. And then there's more to be said. He will be great and will proceed in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah the great reformer. Elijah who stood before Ahab. Elijah who stood before Jezebel. Elijah who called down fire from the heavens and turned the hearts of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. He's going to proceed in the spirit of Elijah. And not just that. He will prepare the way for the Lord. I wonder how Zechariah could take all of that in. I mean, fortunately, he was going to be silent for a few months and he had time to ponder everything the angel said. I don't know how I could listen past you and your wife will have a son. But the record says he managed to catch all the words. Zechariah can't really believe any of it. He and his wife can't have a child. That ship has already sailed. And I wonder how much of what the rest of the angel said he could believe since he couldn't believe the first part of it. You can't believe that God is doing something or that the sun will be great or that the way of the Lord must be prepared if you can't believe the first step, which is that a son is coming. Every other step of the prophecy is dependent on the first step, right? You have to get past believing the son will be born before you can get to any of the rest of the stuff that the angel has to say. And so a small miracle is necessary to help him believe. I've been wondering if maybe we need some small miracles to believe the promises of God to us. Are there dreams that you've given up on? Have you stopped believing that things can be different? Are we convinced that there's nothing new under the sun? Do we believe that we are too small or our resources too puny to make a difference? I think Advent is about daring to believe that things can be different. Advent is about believing the promise that when the Lord comes, everything can be made new. Advent is trusting that the presence of Jesus in the world makes the impossible possible now. Advent is daring to believe, well, it's daring to name Jesus present here among us and to begin to live as if he really is actually and fully right here, right now. And I, you know, hate to put myself in the position of disagreeing with Solomon, but the truth of the matter is, our hope of Advent is this, that when Jesus is present in the world, there are lots of new things under the sun, that new creation breaks in everywhere. John, John couldn't believe this. He couldn't believe the first miracle of the sun, 
so he couldn't believe the rest of the miracles that Gabriel foretold. So to help this priest believe, to help this priest do his job on behalf of Israel, to open the eyes of the blind priest, the angel seals his lips. Time for you to shut up for a while. It, it wasn't much as miracles go. Jesus is going to do the reverse several times in his recorded life. But right now, all we have is a zipped lip. But it does the trick. It forces him to be quiet long enough to understand everything the angel has said. And I wonder, what it, would it take for us to wake up to the fact that the presence of Jesus makes things possible here and now that weren't possible before? What would it take for us to actually believe we could make a difference in this lost world? What would it take for us? What, what small miracle would be necessary for us to believe that God really wanted to use us to bring his kingdom? What would it take for us to believe that God hears our prayers to the extent that we believe it enough to begin praying boldly again? And I'm wondering if maybe, like Zechariah, we need a small miracle, a little something to help us consider what new things God may want to do in our lives. Maybe, maybe we need a zipped lip, a time of silence to consider. Oh, you know what? You don't need a miracle for that. You can, like, your own lip, right? You can be quiet all on your own. You can consider what new thing God may want to do. You can listen for his voice. And as we celebrate and rehearse the details of his coming into the world, you can ponder the mysteries of God and consider what new thing he might want to do in your life. I don't, I don't have any idea what thing you've given up on. I don't, I don't know what that is, but I have listened to so many regret stories in my life. If I'd only done this when I was younger, if I'd only prepared in this way when I was younger, if I'd only made this different choice, if I had just chosen a different spouse, if I had just treated my kids differently, if I had just not done this. I know we can't undo the past, but by the grace of God, the past can be redeemed. And we can hope and begin to pray towards the redemption of all things because that's what it means for the kingdom of God to come, that, that what is lost can be redeemed, that he can restore the years that the locusts ate, that he can make something new, even when I have difficult, a difficult time believing that it's possible. And, and so I'm, I'm really interested this morning to invite you to consider 
the places where you've just sort of lost hope and assumed, well, those kinds of situations don't usually resolve in my experience. And so I just let that go and I'll just adjust accordingly. One of the lines of the songs we sang this morning was, Lord, come and reign, R-E-I-G-N, in us. Come and reign in us. Come be sovereign in us. And, and when the sovereignty of Jesus is in our heart, he begins to de- dictate what's possible and what's not. Rather than our estimation based on our experience as to what's possible or not possible. And if we will yield to his determination of what's possible, then he can restore hope to us for all those burnt or diseased places in our lives or all those places where the locust has eaten up our past and left the landscape devastated. He brings hope to us. But we're so anxious to get rid of the pain of those things that we just talk past them. We let our buddies and our girlfriends tell us that, well, you can't expect any more than that, and he was a routing scoundrel, and she was miserable, and you shouldn't even think about the man. Just move on, move on. We talk our way through our rationalizations, and we come up with crazy, wrong excuses and reasons for things that have happened in the past. And we refuse to listen for the voice of God which says, behold, I come to make all things new. This is the hope of Advent. The people who are sitting in darkness have seen a great light. This is the hope of Christ that can dawn in our lives if we will humble ourselves and receive him into our lives. And it may be that the small miracle many of us need is just a zip lip so we can be quiet long enough to hear the voice of God telling us, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. There are some new things under the sun. And wherever the kingdom breaks in, there is newness. You need an anchor for hope? Don't we sing this occasionally? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? Our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. And we're going to spend this whole month silently before him, asking him to come into our lives and show us our growth points Show us the burned out places that he wants to restore and redeem and renew so that we can believe all the rest of the promise. That's really what this is about. If you can't believe Christ for the promise in your own life, how are you ever going to get past the first promise in order to see him work in your life in the lives around you? So ground zero promise is he wants to renew and restore you. Promises that build upon that 
or he wants to use you to bring his light to the world. Will you be quiet long enough to listen for the voice of hope that comes from the Holy Spirit? Will you open your heart to him? Sing with me as we close. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Let's be silent just for a moment before we pray. Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts and renew our hope. We know that it's your desire to do a new thing in our lives. And we know that when you come, the impossible becomes possible. And we rely on you to redeem all that's been lost all that's been surrendered. Remove the complacency from our hearts and give us the courage to trust you again, to believe you again, to hope in your promise that you can make all things new in our lives. We ask for whatever small miracle we need in order to turn our attention to you. By your grace, Lord Jesus, use us to bring the light of your kingdom, we pray. And now may the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts. And may the light of Christ glow in your faces now and always. Amen. Go in peace.